I think people should know that prison rejoining society can make a positive contribution if they provide with the tools necessary to do those things. We're not. We and I keep. We keep hearing every day in the news a person shouldn't be, uh, you know, defined by their mistakes. And if a person should be defined by the mistake, then I keep hearing everybody deserve another chance. Give us another chance. Allow us to be productive, contributing members of society. Assist us in making our community a safer, more, better place all around for everyone. Welcome to Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sal Dietry. Sal, you excited about what's shaking tonight? Ed, tonight, talking about the power of faith to turn around lives of our brothers and sisters who get out of prison and yet find themselves returning back into prison, stuck in the system. Well, tonight, it's no surprise that uh, we can cite statistics that show that about two-thirds uh, of released prisoners uh, are rearrested. Uh, and, and within five years of some studies, about three quarters of the population uh, rearrested. And, uh, you know, these are Department of Justice studies and others. We've heard countless stories of folks uh, who've been on the show uh, who find themselves stuck in the system. And, and those who get out often find that it is through the grace of God that that first step to break that cycle comes about. Well, tonight we're talking with Richard P. Brown, Sr. He's the founder and CEO of Transitional Associates Incorporated. It's a nonprofit 501c3 organization established in 2014 to provide services to men, women, and juveniles entering and exiting the prison system. Rick founded uh, Transitional Associates Incorporated in direct response to his own personal experience at Lorton Prison his faith in Jesus Christ, and his own experience here in D.C. with the recidivism rate, uh, really trying to get to the root problems of this um, and support people here in the D.C. and even in the Baltimore community. He's here to talk about his mission, why he started the organization, uh, share his perspective on uh, combating this and through faith and service to others. Rick, welcome to WERA and the Grace in 30 show. Thank you so very much, Sal. Thanks for having me. It's great. Uh, tell us, wh- what is uh, Transitional Associates Incorporated? And then, you know, Ed and I really want to get into your personal story and how yeah. this all came about. But tell us, what is uh, TAI? Transitional Associates Unique is exactly what it is. It means transitioning from one dem- demographic to another, meaning transitioning from the criminal justice system into a meaningful and productive life in society, to being prepared adequately with the tools necessary to be possibly successful in the community. So tell us about the moment in time or the period of time in your life when you realized that, that focusing on this particular issue, prison reform, and helping prisoners to su- succeed after their le- release became your mission. Well, it came back a while back, but I didn't, being hard-headed and not listening to what Christ asked me to do, I had ran into back, into birds, messing up, messing up. And then one day I just sat down and I prayed. I asked God, what is it you want me to really do with myself? And it came back that we had talked about this in the federal prison when I was in Atlanta, and we talked about it in Lawton Reformatory. We were part of a group of brothers that had came together to study the Bible, uh, and I was affected by it, but I had problems how I could embrace that and live the way I was living. So we decided going forward that we would try to do something. But coming back to the community, uh, I wasn't able to get a job. Even though I had college experience, I qualified for the job. They told me my record from 30 years ago prevented me from getting the job. 
So I see. I wonder how many other people are experiencing the same kind of difficulty we are. So we sat down and prayed about it, Larry and some other friends, and we decided this was what we would do. We want to be able to be in a position to help many women 18 months prior to coming to the community be endowed with all the tools necessary to make them successful in the community, have a GED or high school diploma, marketable skills, social media skills, and have an opportunity where they can come to the community and realistically have a chance to be successful in the community. So how long were you in prison, and uh, how long ago did you get out? I've been in and out of prison roughly about 14, 15 years. I've been home now since uh, September the 6th, 2006. I came home from the Federal Bureau of Prisons. You've been working at this now for, I guess, 12 years on the outside. Right. Uh, are you more hopeful now than you were when you first got out about the progress towards, towards genuine, just uh, prison reform? Yes, I am now because the, the, uh, most people now seem to be a lot more aware, not disparaging anyone, the administration of that or not, but with the essence, emphasis coming from Attorney General Sessions about reinstituting this harsh criminal uh, punishment for this drug thing. And we all know pre- really where the drug's coming from, who they say are selling the drug. So it's back to that again. But we found that people have. People want criminal justice reform, but they actually don't know what to do or how to go about it. Most people think that the federal bill, we got 51 criminal justice systems in this country. Most people think that there's only one, that's the Bureau of Prison. Congress legislates for the Bureau of Prison. They do not legislate for the 50 other states. The other 50 states have their own independent uh, criminal justice system. So we felt the need to become involved and actually reform a chapter throughout the country where we can begin to address those issues of being reformed, the criminal justice system being reformed. We need that. We know there's a need to have punishment, but we want punishment tampered with compassion. And for me, I believe that if a person has an opportunity to experience a personal relationship with Christ, then that brings about a change. It's not going to happen overnight. You're going to find yourself bumping your head against, well, this is not acceptable, that's not acceptable. But if you stick with it and you keep going, uh, I find that all things, as they say in Philippians 4.13, I find that all things that pop through Christ who strengthens me. So why don't you tell us, what are some of the obstacles that you faced and that ex-offenders face? What are the most significant ones, basically condemned to a miserable, poverty-stricken life? Yeah, break of the cycle. What happens when you come home, most people that goes into prison from the community that I came out of initially, they have to go back to what people, their families in subsidized housing. They have a rule or law in place where you cannot be in the extra center go back to live with your family subsidized house. So that precludes an individual from having a place to live, a stable housing opportunity. Then when you got people going back 30, 40 years to a conviction and using that conviction, preventing, preventing you from getting a job. I qualified, my, when I majored in school with special education behavior modification, I qualified for the position. A person told me, said, well, look, Mr. Brown, come back Tuesday. Uh, we'll give you orientation. The day before, they called me and said, Mr. Brown, we read your, about your record, and uh, we can't do that. I said, well, my record is for armed robbery. It has nothing to do with anything to do with children and that kind of thing. Why am I precluded? Well, that's the out of city. You can appeal it. I said, well, what's the sense? I went through that four or five times. That's it's the same system you problem these other individuals face. Tell us about, you know, in Transitional Associates, Inc., what are your goals that are complementary or different from other prison fellowship uh, organizations, and both complementary and different? Because when you and I talked, you know, you talked about, you know, Chuck Colson's or starting uh, prison fellowship ministries and right. and others that you've uh, really had the experience of meeting and working with over these many, many years as you've been right. cultivating Transitional Associates Incorporated. Right. What are your goals that are sort of complementary or different? Well, let me state this here. So, 
when Chuck Colson began his prison ministry, that was Doug Cole, who was the founder of the family, who sponsored the National Prayer Buff. They have at the Hilton every year for people come from all around the world. He brought Chuck Colson down to the Lord Reformatory to view the prison ministry that we have started there via uh, John, uh, Doug Cole through John Staggers and a brother named Stu Murtaugh, uh, a congressman Tony Hall, uh, Senator Howard Hughes, and a bunch of other people. The pastor from the Fourth Presbyterian Church at that time was Dr. Richard Howiston, who also was the Senate chaplain. Those people were involved with us and walked us through what we were going through. But what definitely what we're talking about doing is it's almost like what we're asking you to continue to do what you're doing, but we ask you to come together on a larger umbrella. We figured that we could be more effective if we come together on the larger act umbrella, like similar to AFL-CIO. You have a myriad of different labor organizations, but they come together under one organization to lobby for what they need to get done for their members. And that's the same principle we want to do. Do We want to do that state by state by state to reform the criminal justice system and make it more equitable and make it where a person can come out at one stop and get all the information they need to be able to get IDs, housing, food, those kind of things, and to move forward. I got involved with the Southeast White House years ago before it was the Southeast White House. Uh, it was in Doug's mind to have a house on the hill for all people, and that's what he eventually evolved into. So there were, I, but correct me if I'm wrong, 70 million people who have served time in prison in the U.S.? No, they said, well, there's 70 million people actually with criminal records in the United States of America. At the end of this center, Brennan Center for Justice estimated that they were, at this decade, there will be 28 to 27, 28 million ex-felons on parole or probation who's been disenfranchised and cannot vote. So your plan is to... to bring these people all together under some form of a caucus, I guess you would call it? Uh, on the, on we support one another, but the primary purpose of this is to reform the criminal justice system, reduce mass incarceration, make it more equitable. In 2016, Sally, they had, you know what the Federal Bureau of Prison budget was? $7.3 billion. I want to go back kind of to what Ed was saying, and you meant hit on something. Because you say folks like Tony Hall, Congressman Hall, Right. And folks like Colson were coming to Lorton to see what you all were doing. What was going on there in that that community of people? What were you guys doing there that was that really brought some of these leaders down there to say, I need to see what Ricky Brown and other folks are trying to do down there? But what happened was during that time, you the concert, they were killing. It was a killing of two each day in Lorton. People were being killed for who discovered America walking on wet concrete for selling somebody a sandwich they didn't like, uh, you know, wasn't done right. So what we had started doing, everybody was walking around. There was knives everywhere. And, you know, you had the malls. And we were a bunch of guys walking around with Bibles, okay? And we started fellowship. We started praying. Now, Doug, man, boy, man, we had the National Prayer Breakfast. We was part of having the, uh, we had sponsored the first in the prison uh, Special Olympics down there. Uh, with Maryland, Virginia, District of Columbia, and uh, the guys in the community, we had prayed in there, we met with other leaders in the institution, and we come to have a moratorium on this killing. And that came about pretty much because of our relationship with Christ. Tell me about, you know, the, the folks that have come together around your organization, because what strikes me about you and folks like Larry Watson and other people that are involved in a transitional association is your deep background in, in your personal experiences in living this here in Northern Virginia and in D.C., and I think that's something that's lost on people who are transient and come here or millennials who have just moved to the area. Tell us about some of the people that are involved with you at Transitional Associates, people like Larry Watson and other people that are on your board, because this is an, a, a group of people who have a deep experience and a deep passion for this 
who have come together to form this organization and not only make things better, but share their knowledge. Okay, well, those brothers are on the board, uh, lifelong Washingtonians, and they all have been ex-offenders. Most of us have been drug users. And uh, uh, Larry and I probably are the most prominent brothers on there that have a personal relationship with Christ. And we work at it. The other brothers on there are working at a relationship with them as well, okay? But they see the change that's taking place in my experience and in Larry's experience. Uh, Larry was an athlete and is a renowned athlete in the city uh, and uh, had scholarships. I was a renowned athlete in the city. I had scholarships to go away, too. Uh, but uh, the lure of the streets and the drug thing uh, was hard to overcome, selling drugs and all of that. Uh, Larry, had a, Larry has a certified addiction counselor throughout the country. He's been working in... Uh, Christ House up there at 4th, 18th of Columbia Road, uh, another other institutions where he's been. He goes to the jail regularly to speak with the young brothers and sisters, over, young brothers over there in juvenile range. He has a passion for that. We have a juvenile organization, too, we're dealing with. And Lester and Maurice and Darrell, the same. We have some people working with us that is not directly on the board uh, that help. They're doing tremendous work in the community and relationship to helping people to get jobs. We've been fortunate enough. Uh, through the Southeast White House, as a matter of fact, uh, brother came over there to pray with us, Ernest and us, and Ernest asked us to give with the brother. The brother wanted to, to do some work in the city, and he came about, he created about eight or nine jobs uh, for people, and he wanted us to get the extra finished jobs. And we got eight or nine extra finished jobs, making $14, $15 an hour. And how did you come to get Congressman Danny Davis of Illinois to be involved in this? Because look, you're talking about people who are congressmen, people like Tony Hall. You you know, you need a lobbyist to get this kind of relationship with these people. And yet these folks are drawn to what you are doing. You know, when I go to your website, I see leaders who are drawn to what you are doing in this small organization in D.C. How did you get involved with some of these heavy hitters? Praying. Mm. Simplest thing. That's right. Most powerful and simplest thing. I read about uh, Congressman Davis, his program uh, in the uh, uh, civil rights era and his passion for the uh, criminal justice system. And I did some research work on He's one of the guys who sponsored second chance legislation and a bunch of other stuff. So I just took a chance to call his office one day. And I told the lady, I said, well, I pray, uh, could you, would you help, pray, would you, could you pray with me? You, what do you mean pray with you? I said, could you pray with me that I want you to make sure you get this message to Congressman Davis? And uh, we sit on the line. She said, yeah, okay, we pray. So I prayed with her. And I said, I'm trying to get you to make sure you get a special Congress date because it's affecting a lot of people's lives, and he's instrumental in putting legislation forth that deals with what we're all trying to get to. Congressman Davis has made a lot of work done in the District of Columbia, even though he's on the 7th Congressional District of Chicago. He's in program here in the District of Columbia. I've been fortunate that he's allowed me to take part in the Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, prayer breakfast for the last two years as a speaker on a council reentry, and that's giving me national support. He's also a board member of ours as well. Yeah, I, I love you're an example of the practicality and the power of praying. Uh, things like getting in the word. The scripture tells us the word is the, you know, the, the sword of the spirit. You, know, you use it to cut people's hearts, and and yes. and you pray because there is truly there are answered prayers, and it has a huge impact. So I, I really like that. Give us give us some more stories. Do you have stories about specific individuals that you've worked with either inside the prison or after? Well, we're working with brothers in the prison right now. We're working with brothers in uh, uh, that uh, uh, Waverly, West Virginia. Uh, we're working with the brothers down here in uh, 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 Arizona, just transferred from Arizona from Oklahoma uh, Center, Transfer Center. We're working with some brothers over the jail. We're working with some brothers down at, uh, uh, we're working with some brothers over here in uh, Jessup, Maryland, over the district jail. Uh, 
working with some brothers in Cumberland, the federal penitentiary camp in Cumberland, Maryland. Yeah. Is, is there any is there any person or, or or you know accomplishment that you've had in the past 10, 20 years that really sticks out and actually gives you some juice and motivation to keep moving forward when times get difficult? Because I'm sure you run into resistance and oh, challenges. Oh yes, quite regularly. But when a per- my background, I, I wasn't a very nice person in my community. Okay, I was I was a bad person. And uh, when a guy came up to me one day, he said, Ricky, you, you, you're more approachable now. And uh, I'm, I'm puzzled why I'm that. And I just explained to him what happened. Well, I remember he said something, man, I'm messed up, so and so happened to my friend. I said, well, man, I'm going to pray for you. He said, what you say? I said, I'm going to pray for you. He said, okay. He said, you talking about praying for me? I'm, I wasn't a good guy, as I said in the community. I was pretty bad. You know, I was hurting people, taking, a, taking stuff from people. And for him to hear me say that, he, he couldn't believe it. And we prayed together. And I know how it disarms people when we talk about prayer, and I see how people look at me and how they respond to me now, where people wouldn't respond to me previously, open or warmly. Then we have open conversation. Well, I believe in Christ, man, but I I say it's not going to be a transformation overnight where you're just going to stop. I say I'm not Hank Holy. I'm not Simon Pure. I wake up every day trying to do the best that I can, and every day I don't measure up to what I think I should as far as being a representative of Christ. I say, so don't let that get in the way. If you look at most of the prominent people in the Bible, look at what they did. Moses was a killer. A bunch of these other guys did all kinds of things. Paul persecuted the church. I mean, you go on and on and on, and God used these people in mighty ways. All you have to do is be open to want to make a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. I believe that happens as a result of having a personal relationship with Christ. Tell us about you've just opened a chapter uh, within the last year in Baltimore. Yeah. And you were telling me you, you're trying to take it high tech. You've got, you know, trying to teach people how to do, uh, you know, basic computer programming and basic right. things to kind of really make a leap from getting out of prison into the high tech uh, uh, field. And you were just up there this week. Tell me what's going on with the chapter oh, yeah. in Baltimore. We've, we got a beautiful brother with him named Jonathan Moore. He's the CEO and founder of Rowdy Orbit. It teaches ex offenders how to code. You don't need a high school diploma or nothing else. And you got, uh, it's a for-profit trained employees, ex-offenders in tech jobs. High-tech firms are embracing ex-offenders. Criminal background doesn't have any problem, including returning citizens all the DAR conversation. And he's agreed to work with us in Maryland, Baltimore, and as well in the District of Columbia. Uh, about teaching this tech program. We have another program we want to do. We're, trying to, we're working with these unions. They're starting a new intern program, and they, doesn't, they don't discriminate against ex-offenders. So we're trying to collect you know, a relationship with them to develop a program. We work with the Southeast White House, Ernest Global, the Dream Center, to break a comprehensive re-entry program there as well. Ernest has been tremendous in helping us in that endeavor as well. And that's what we're trying to do, provide jobs where people have an opportunity to get living wages and not just, uh, you know, a minimum wage. We found uh, where you can get, I found, we not obscure, but we found over 50 jobs that you don't need a college degree to get high-paying salary. One job, in, for instance, you would think you would need to be a physics or something to be a, a nuclear operator reactor. All you need is a high school diploma or GED, 18-month certification. You can make dollars a year. We found these jobs, and we're trying to work with people to get them involved in these things. Yeah. Now I love your passion for all of this, and you know you talk about the Dream Center. It's really I don't, and I don't think guests, you know, listeners, uh, appreciate and understand this. This is a place in D.C. that is like a spring of hope for so many people. They are just exactly. an, shooting off so many great things. Yes, they are. People who are, and they're doing it in a hand-to-hand way. Yeah, Ernest and the folks at uh, uh, yeah. National Community Church yeah, and others yeah. who are really. 
lighting something down there that's that's just creating a lot of opportunity, really an ecosystem, a prayer system for people to have the courage and the support and the strength to do other things. But see, also, Ernest is a tremendous director to lead, and he's got a beautiful spirit. Ernest truly loves the Lord. You can feel it in his conversation. You can see it in his action, and that's what I'm proud about. Uh, I'm one of those people. The Book of James is my favorite book because it calls us as believers to act out our faith through practical demonstration and works. As it says in the Bible, works without faith is you dead. And you see that practical demonstration from Ernest, Miss Tina, uh, everyone is associated with the Dream Center and the Southeast White My pastor from my church, Metropolitan AME, is a, we're coming along. We're bringing them on board with what we're doing over the Southeast White of the Dream Center. Ernest and I talked before they took the kids to the camp the other day about we're going to sit down and partner, bring uh, uh, a reentry program, a comprehensive reentry program out of the Dream Center. They are doing tremendous work in Ward 7 over there in Ward 8. I mean, they're embracing the community, providing all kinds of opportunities. It is exactly what it says, the dream center, but it presents the opportunity for these young people to realize their dream. But more importantly, they see a practical demonstration of Christ's love and action. That's the most important thing. Amen. They see hope. That's yeah. right. So let, let's spend a couple minutes talking about a root cause of, of, the, of the problem. I mean, the system is clearly broken, and, and it's in need of change, the prison system. Let's talk a little bit about racial injustice. What what is what is the role that that's played in in sort of the the explosion, the growing of our prison system? Okay, well that's a good point. It happens when uh, it happened. With, it, people, most people think it happened with President Clinton. It didn't. It actually happened with President Lyndon Johnson when they changed the war on poverty to the war on crime, which was systematically us. Okay, but when Clinton got in and when he initiated that thing in '94. They start funding money to these district, these states, okay, to make harsher sentences, longer sentences, and that's what happened with the prison. You got 2.3 million men and women incarcerated in the United States of America. 1.2 of those are African American, Hispanic people. But the largest growth of population in the criminal justice system in 1970 is the women population. Now most people think it's not so much overcrowded in the central jails that they are in the jails, not in the penitentiaries. In rural areas, and that have, comes about from not paying your tickets or things that happen up in Ferguson. If you don't pay your tickets, now you got people on probation that have to parole probation that have to pay to be on probation. They didn't privatize this thing where it's completely about money. It's not about rehabilitation and not about any of those kind of things. The concept, and if we can do the difference, I'm going to say this: President Obama didn't say this. You cannot have a conversation actually about reforming the criminal justice system and reducing mass incarceration. It's a misnomer that people have been led to believe that most of the people in the penitentiary system are there for nonviolent sentences. That's not so. Most of the people that have these long systemic sentences that need to be included in the conversation actually are the violent offenders. Those are the guys that are there, and those are the guys that are not coming back home reoffending. Uh, we want to get back to you know talking about. Uh because we're going to get to the call to action here in a few minutes. But uh, what is your relationship with uh, Newborn Community of Faith? Is that someone you want to give a shout-out to? Yes, I do. That's a pastor. I mean, excuse me, Elder C.W. Harris and Elder Wendell Holm and Antoine. They have, like, brought, they have allowed us to come and provide us a space to work out of a chapter. But we work with them with some young kids over there in Sandtown, uh, Winchester, and Upton, where Freddie Gray got killed, that we put in a program in there. They have all kinds of programs over there. They have a, criminal, they have a program for women that's ex-offenders. They have a program with a farming program where they provide opportunity for ex-offenders to come there and work. They work with what they call Turnaround Tuesday. 
That's a program that's associated with John Hopkins University. You complete turnaround Tuesday, you can get a job at John Hopkins University making living wages. And they're doing tremendous work, and they work with us, allowing us to do that. So they're making space for us, but we still have some concerns about being able to get things done. But one of the questions that I made before you go to the, the last thing, yeah. you asked me if they were we moving beyond Baltimore. What we are in conversation right now with people in South Carolina, North Carolina, Texas, Georgia, California, Virginia, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Chicago, Indiana, Wisconsin, Michigan, Florida, about having a chapter of ours in their state. And who are you, I mean, what, what is the, is there a common denominator there? These are just people that are called to Christ and they're ex-offenders and they're, they're ex they want to get involved with what you're doing. Yeah, they're ex-offenders. I don't know what their personal relationship with Christ. All I can do, I tell them what my motivating factor is. Okay, I tell them what my motivating factor But my thing has been that those people believe in what they say they believe in, then the tenets from what they believe in is pretty much similar to what we believe in. If That's we right. put those tenets into practice, we can make a significant impact in the change in people's lives. As a matter of fact, I spoke with the brother, uh, R. Jones Bay, who's uh, he's like uh, the head of the Morrison Temple of America. They, they have 500 chapters in every institution throughout the country, and they have chapters throughout the city. Of the country, we've spoken. He's coming to board to partner with us to work with us to make a difference in people's lives. So, but he knows what my relationship is with Christ, and I know what his relationship is. And that what we're talking about doing is for the glory of God, and we're not identifying. He approached him one way, I approach him another. I respect him; he respects me. So we've got a couple of minutes. Um, you know, we'd love you to issue a call to action. Uh, you know, try to get people engaged. And uh, yeah, how can? What do you? Let's start off with your needs. What do you all need? Because you're on this this path to expansion. You've got some great seedling things going here. What do you need? And then how can people get in touch with you? Let's and take a few minutes to say what what are your needs and goals, and then how can people get in touch with you. Our needs primarily right now is trying to raise financial resources so we can get a building. Ernest and them is allowing us to work out of the Dream Center. We meet at the, the food, uh, Whole Foods on 14th and uh, Peach Street Northwest to have our meetings, and he's allowing us to do that. We talk with some other people. We need to get us a place, a physical structure in the city where we can do that. We need to get some equipment uh, so we can get up another website for what we're trying to do, what we can get the equipment, machineries, and computers and all this stuff. We need final resources so we can get the material. We're, trying to, we're waiting to get our logo finished with the trademark patent people. Uh, so that we can start getting putting that on our logo, I mean, on our paper here and moving around. Uh, we need to try to get some money to get us some kind of automobile so we can go back and forth to Maryland. We're in active conversation with some people in Virginia. That way, you, as a matter of fact, the Tidewater and Richmond, called Bridge the Gap in Virginia. Uh, they're a powerful organization that made up of ex-offenders and offenders as well. So how do people get a hold of you? www.transinc.org. Okay, you got 30, 45 seconds. Is anything you want people to know about prisoners rejoining society? I think people should know that prisoners rejoining society can make a positive contribution if they provide with the tools necessary to do those things. We're not, we, and I keep, we keep hearing every day in the news, a person shouldn't be, uh, you know, defined by their mistakes. And if a person should be defined by their mistakes, then I keep hearing everybody deserve another chance. Give us another chance. Allow us to be productive contributing members of society, assist us in making our community a safer, more, and better place all around for everyone. Yeah, Ricky, thank you so much for joining us. I love what you're doing uh, to help those coming out of prison to uh, get back on their feet and find a path forward. And we, Ed and I wish you the greatest success. But thank for you. listeners who want to find out more about Transitional Associates Incorporated, visit their website at transinc.org. 
A recording of this show can be found on WERA's website. You can follow the show again and listen some more on Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes at Grace in 30. Ed, my friend, talk us out of this one. You've been listening to Grace in 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.